Welcome to another podcast about falling down and not getting back up. I'm your host, Spencer Shepard. Joined with me, as always, is... Josh Peters. Also known as... Junk. There we go. Um, uh, Josh, who do we have with us today? Uh, today we have Chris Stanley, and he's got a really interesting story. And it's kind of about falling down and getting up, which is not quite what we're about here, but we're going to change it up a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, Chris, I'll let you, uh, if you want to introduce yourself and. Um... Uh, let's see, who am I? Uh, I'm Chris Stanley. I was born in New York City, okay. in California. And let's see. We moved to Puget Sound area around the 90s. Gotcha. I've worked professionally as a model maker, which is an unusual profession. What is a model maker? Yeah. I, I make models for money. Uh, little houses. Gotcha. Uh, consumer goods. Um, dioramas. Uh, smallest model I made was an airplane about the size of a housefly, but it was just whoa, whoa, Russian airplane for a flight simulator. Uh, my guess is they were training U U.S. Air Force pilots to fly over Russia somewhere. Gotcha. Is that uh, is that something that you've you've always been interested in and always like had a skill in, or is it something you kind of developed over time? I made a lot of models as a kid. Um, when I was a senior in high school, my crafts teacher linked me up with a landscape architect who needed a miniature house for a garden show. I made that. And then my art teacher came into the room and said, hmm, you're pretty good at that. Do you know people do that professionally? And that job was so crazy. And I ended up making about, I think a dollar twenty an hour on it because okay. uh, although dollar thirty five an hour was the minimum wage at the time, oh wow! And the client was slow in paying me. I vowed never ever again to make a model for money. <laughs> Two so years later, I was working as a model maker. There you go. I was gonna <laughs> say so. Um, in a job like that, it's a very niche category. Um, how do you, I guess, sort of like. Is there a lot of people you're competing with or is it like you build sort of your own base of clients and just sort of like maintain those relationships or do you get to a point where people come and seek you out? Like how does one go about staying, I guess, profitable as a model maker? It's very hard to do it as an individual shop. Yeah. Because generally people will come to you at the last minute and they'll say, well, I'll have the drawings on Monday and two weeks later you get the drawings, but the deadline has never changed. Mm. Um, especially for architectural models. Uh, a lot of model makers work either inside an architectural office. Okay. I got an emergency call one time from another model maker who barely knew me. And he said he planned to go on vacation for a long time. And the clients called him in a panic and said, we need a model right now. Can I right. do it? Uh, in order to meet their deadline, I, I stayed up for 36 hours at the end of it to get the model done. Jeez. Have you? And oh, what, um, 
what are your what was your main clientele was it architectural firms reaching out to you or was it um yeah what was your main clientele well i started out when when i got bored with my college studies and decided i wanted to drop out of school for a while opening mm -hmm. the yellow pages and looking under model makers and found the largest yellow page ad called them up and I talked to one of the principals and he said, oh, don't drop out of school. Come see us in the summertime. We usually have work. And so I saw them in the summertime and they said, Chris, who? Um, <laughs> they hired, I think they hired me because the most I'd earned before then was $2 an hour. And so they hired me at $2 an hour. And, um, gotcha. Eventually be, being the head of research and development for them. So um, I know Joshua told me that you if I'm right on this, that you taught at the Seattle Art Institute. Is that correct? That is correct. I taught in their industrial design program. I taught and, in classes and general design classes. Um, the way that Josh knows you is you and Josh's mother used to commute and be bike riders, commute bike riders. Is that true? Yes. You would commute from that? Yeah. Yeah. And I heard that you had gotten into, I'm not, I actually don't really know the story of this, but were you hit by a car when you were biking or what was the accident that you were involved with? Yeah, I was, I was uh, bicycling up 305, which is the major highway on Bainbridge yep. Island. It is legal to bicycle on Highway 305. I always like to remind people of that. And, and a, a young woman in a, a car behind me uh, received a cell phone call. And she had the cell phone in her lap, which I did. I talked to her a year and a half after the accident and found out this detail. And um, she had a relative who had recently gotten into the hospital and she was trying to figure out if she would need to turn around and head toward Seattle. She was heading off the island toward Polesboro. Gotcha. And so she looked down to see who was calling. Young driver. As she did that, she pulled a little more with her dominant hand to the right. right. Yeah. Um, and scooped me up and threw me 85 feet through the air. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> I left my helmet, left a sizable dent on the roof of her car. I shattered her windshield with my back. Um, wow. And was thrown, fortunately, to the side of the road. I cleared the guardrail. There is a guardrail at that point. And mm -hmm. on a patch of grass, there was a stony, rocky pit just a few feet further up. Um, and uh, she was being followed by a tow truck. And so if I hadn't done a clip shot to the right, uh, I would have been run over by a tow truck. Yeah. So um, is that yeah. something that is... I'm sure that you've had to talk about that a lot in your life because people are, you know, when you get hit by a car, mostly, people are interested, right? In uh, uh, 84, when this happened, people don't ask okay. me about it now. My one hope when I woke up in the hospital and uh, could barely move and didn't know if I'd ever walk again was that at some time when I had clothes on and nobody could see my scars, People wouldn't ask me, what the hell happened to you? Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, one of my age. Uh, one of my questions years to get rid of the limp. Yep. Um, my leg was severely broken. My my neck was broken. Um, 
uh, we have good Awful. emergency people on the island because they picked me up without doing any spinal damage. That's great. But I have a titanium plate in my throat holding two vertebrae together. Wow. Um, so when you I have go my through. You're right. Well, yeah, that's, well, I, okay, well, that's actually, that's kind of a nice thing because yeah. me and Josh both don't have our heads screwed on straight no, in case no, you can't you tell. So lose your heads regularly. I almost yeah, yeah. lost my head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we, that's actually very good because my head, my head's been loose for a while. The bolts always seem to like kind of fall out of place on me. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't when, recommend being hit by a car. So they screw it on. Oh yeah, I'm 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 gonna come up with some other uh, solutions. <laughs> Doctor Monk will get back to me. Um, so, when you are in an accident like that, like you said, do you feel sort of like afterwards, like you are, you might almost lose your identity because you become the accident. Like people want to talk to you about the accident, the accident, the accident, and it's hard to maybe gain a sense of like, Hey, I'm still Chris. I'm still the guy I was before. Or did that part of you almost feel lost in your recovery period? I never lost who I was. Um, which is fortunate because I had five bleeds in my brain and they, the, the notes that I, I live in Winslow co-housing. And so I have okay. some close um, neighbors and mm -hmm. so they would post notes on the general information board. And I have a book now of all these notes. And one was uh, a neighbor came to see me and talk to me. And her response was, he's all there. Because they, they didn't know. Uh, yeah. Um, and so I don't remember the day of the accident, which I consider fortunate. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the day before the accident when I was teaching. I asked a student aide who I'd had for the, it was interesting. I only had a student aide for one class the entire time I was teaching there. And it was the quarter I got hit. And mm -hmm. helped around the class, which is, I mean, there, there are several things that lined up like I knew what was going to happen. Right. I had not made certain commitments that I usually made. I yeah, left right. my calendar open. I've tried not to leave my calendar open again because I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're, you're when you are fall because our podcast is all about falling down and not getting back up. Clearly, you've done the opposite of that. Um, what what was harder in the recovery process? Was it the physical ailments that you had to literally go through probably tons of physical therapy, I would imagine, and all kinds of other things to sort of get yourself therapy. back? Um, or was it the mental side of mentally sort of moving on after something so traumatic? Because, you know, I've had injuries throughout my life and the mental side for me has always been tough and not feeling like I can be my normal, I can move normally. I can, you know, that kind of, that weighs on someone in a way that I don't think is recognized very often. Um, you, know, you know the book, Everything I Need to Learn in Life I Learned in Kindergarten? I know. I, I don't know it. it. Yeah, well, it's a famous, it was famous a few years ago when it was written. My story is everything I needed to learn in life I learned as a model maker. Uh, At one point, one of the nurses came up to me. She's flipping through, looking at 
all the damage that's happened to me. And she says, oh my God, it's going to take a, you're going to need a lot of patience to recover. And so what did I do? I relaxed. I'm a model maker. Patience is exactly what you have to have to be a model maker. Uh, now it required more patience than anything I had done before. It took years. Um, I remember one day I was in class and I was walking across the classroom, took a 90 degree turn and then stopped, turned back and kept walking. And the students said, why did you do that? And I said, well, my legs don't quite work so well right now. And so every now and then I take a different way. I think it takes four years to learn to walk. And that's about how long it took me to recover my walking from the accident. Walking is a very difficult thing. We're only just now getting robots to do it correctly. Um, a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of physical therapy. Um, I had a walker, uh, a wheelchair. It took me a while to get back. And like I said, it took several years before I stopped the limp. Mm -hmm. And I still hear my physical therapist echoing my head every now and then to straighten up and to do certain things. Yeah. Well, I think it's good to have that voice in the back of your head. <laughs> um, you want to keep the voices in your head to a minimum. I, uh, <laughs> I do know that. So let's glad that it's just that positive voice, at least. Uh, as a designer, do you... Do you ever work on, are you working on models anymore or do you work on models for pleasure or where are you at in your model making career? Um, so I come from a line of artists. Okay. My father was a painter and went to art school and then he ended up having to earn a living and did something else. Uh, he was frustrated. As a matter of fact, when he offered to help put me through college, he said he would do that as long as I wasn't an art major. <laughs> <clears throat> Model making is an applied art. I ended up teaching right. in art school. My dad was very proud of the fact that I'd figured out how to make art pay because he hadn't. His father right. was uh, a sculptor who, um, no, very few people know his name but everybody, uh, quite a few people in the world have seen at least one of his sculptures. Uh, gotcha. People figured that out for themselves. Uh, my great grandfather on my grandmother's side was uh, the head of graphics department for the LA Examiner and a, a landscape painter. Um, so art runs in the family. My daughter says she's not an artist, but she does really nice art. <laughs> <laughs> It's very good at I, I kind of have a question around like art and creativity. Do you, do you think, I think a lot of people that are on the outside and have completely different careers um, see like being creative as something you're either like born with or you like mm. you either have it or you don't. Um, do you think that it's, it's creativity is something you develop and get and can actually teach yourself or do you think there's like an innate uh, quality to it? Um, I think we're all creative. I think if you look at kids, they're all, I mean, uh, a lot of society and parents work very hard to beat the creativity out of you. Um, yeah. I taught in an art school 
that's that's not the right question to ask somebody who taught at an art school. You could teach anybody to be an artist. Yeah. Um, you have to apply yourself. It's it's not something that you just fall into. I don't draw that well because I don't draw. If I and I as a, a teacher, I had to draw and I draw on the blackboard and I got better because I was teaching. I was doing it all the time. So um, and there are methods for teaching people these things. Um, it's very interesting. If you want to learn to draw, you have to learn to draw loose and tight. And so there are exercises that teach you to draw loose. You don't even look at the drawing when you're drawing. Uh -huh. And there are other ones where you really put in every detail. And you have to do both because in the end, you have to both be loose and tight. Right. Yeah, I seem to keep it mainly loose. Haven't quite figured out the tight. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm a fly by the hip kind of human being, but so far I'm here and you know interviewing you, so I've got got something going on at least. Uh, when I was young, I went bicycling in Europe, and I was in this youth hostel in Paris, and there was this cute woman that I girl that I'd seen waiting in the lobby when I was waiting in the lobby, and at one mm -hmm. point. I said, you know, how am I going to meet this person? And I decided I would do sketching in the hallway. So I was sketching in the hallway and she walked past and we started a little conversation and I sketched her arm. So one reason to develop your sketching is because it's good for meeting people. Yeah. And that um, will inspire you to sketch more often. Uh, and what became of that woman in the hallway? Oh, we, we, we did some nice walking together and we, we, I mean, it's limited what you can do when you're meeting in Paris. Uh, sure. She gave me her address and uh, I never got up to Sweden where she lived, but uh, it was nice. It, yeah. it, it led to a very nice holiday relationship. Let me put it that way. Uh, yes. Um, so in, in 2004, there was uh, an, another really big biking accident that involved a doctor on the island. Yeah. And Ernie that would be correct. That, that was when my accident was, Ernie was four months later. Ernie Franz, an emergency room doctor, wonderful fellow. Yeah. Um, I know that um, the, the outfall of that led to a lot of like distracted, some dis distracted driving laws. Were you involved in in the the passing of any of that legislation? Did you have any? I went and testified. Um, let's see. I think I still had my cast, uh, air cast, which is you know not the plaster cast, mm -hmm. on my leg. Drove down to Olympia and testified to the state transportation committee. It didn't happen that year. And then the next year, I didn't drive down, but I kept bothering all the people on the transportation committee with emails. Um, and I talked to the woman who what, had for years been trying to put through this distracted driving stuff. Um, uh, there was a meeting in Seattle about distracted driving and people testified. So I went and, and, and talked at that. That was at City Hall in Seattle. And it was very interesting. It's a legal problem. It's a similar to the problem we had with drunken driving. Um, if you commit a crime unintentionally, 
your right. liabilities much less. And yes. so the woman who hit me uh, was given a ticket, I think, for $350. There was talk of taking her to court, um, just that the state would pr prosecute her. And then the local uh, district attorney in, in, in uh, Kitsap County, when the judge was assigned to the case, he decided we would not go that way, that there would be no trial. Um, Did that anger you? The judge had been in another case a year before where I think at Lamolo Road, mm -hmm. somebody had T-boned another car because he wasn't paying attention and drove right through the stop sign. Mm -hmm. Um, and killed somebody. And so the judge's instructions to the jury at the end of the trial were, you need to find intent. If there is no intent, you cannot find the person guilty. Does so in, um, driving, there was no intent, but the law is now, if you enter a car while you're drunk, that is against the law. Yeah. And so you're making a misdemeanor when you do that. And if you do another crime while you're doing a misdemeanor, they can throw the book at you. But so how do you say you can't go into a car when you're inattentive? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did you, do you sort of a multiple questions here, but do you forgive the woman who hits you? Do you, harbor anger towards the situation and maybe not the woman itself and how did you move on from those things if you have i probably within three days of waking up i mean i was held in a uh drug-induced coma for close to a week because i had a, a collapsed lung and they needed to sedate me because i was intubated um, but shortly after I woke up, you know, people said, well, you're going to sue this person. And I said, well, she wasn't intent on hurting me. You know, she was doing stuff she shouldn't have done, but, uh, my anger is with cell phones Yeah. and people using cell phones. And so I tell everybody, I, I mean, I've got a lot of people to stop using their cell phones while driving. Um, and I said, you know, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for you. Um, I like it now that my phone, if I'm driving and it rings, it tells people he's driving. Don't talk to him. Um, it does that automatically because it can tell I'm moving. Um, but I didn't immediately go up. I knew where she worked. She was working as a teller in the local bank and she was either in the place on Bainbridge Island or the place in Polsbo. Those are the two days that she were there. And so I waited until I was out of the wheelchair because I didn't want to roll up and have her for a few moments think, oh my God, I put him in a wheelchair. Um, I, I had intended to walk. <laughs> was right. Intent yeah. on walking again. And I did walk. And so a couple times I went up to where she worked, but she was always at the other branch. So finally, uh, during the high holidays, uh, one year, 
uh, it's a traditional time to settle conflicts between people. And so I called one thing. She wasn't there. So I called the other place. I asked to speak to her. She answered the phone. I said, hello, this is Chris Stanley. Do you know who I am? And she says, yes, I know who you are. Do you mind if I take the phone in another room? And I said, no problem. And so she got off the phone and then got back on, which was a good thing. We talked for about 45 minutes. The reason I called her is I wanted to her to know that I had forgiven her a long time ago. And I was not cursing her name every day. Um, my wife, on the other hand, might be. But, right. um, you know, I didn't harbor any ill will against her. I, I did a lot of damage to her car, by the way. I think that was car. her fault. But. Uh, <laughs> Well, Chris, um, I think it speaks volumes to your character that you are considering the feelings of the person who did so much damage to you. Um, and yeah, it's really honorable of you. Speaking of your wife, so how, when you are not the person that's in, you know, does she still hold anger towards her? Or is there, I guess, because, you know, she, she being your wife had someone that she loved and cared for so deeply be hurt by someone else's negligence. Do you think that, for instance, if it was your wife that had been hit and not you, that you would be harboring more anger? I don't know. I know at the time after the accident, my focus was on healing, was on getting right. my body back. And I said, I don't right. have time and energy to put into anger. Mm -hmm. And so I've talked to various people who, who had anger. And I said, you know, the reason you forgive somebody else is not for them. It's for yourself. Because to, to hold on to that anger, to, to, to have that resentment and stuff does not help you. And I, that was another reason that we chose not to sue. I said, I, I don't, first place, her husband was a submariner in, 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 wherever we have a sub base here yeah um, and she was working in a bank there was no money in right. there um but you know i just didn't i was very fortunate that i was insured and my wife said but you are on a bicycle and i said we should call our insurance company anyway and i was insured and uh they were quite generous my school that I was teaching at kept me on full uh, income while I was recovering, you know, and there was a quarter I didn't work at all. And then I, it took me, I think, a year and a half before I was back to full time, but I had full wages during that time. And so I was That's awesome. treated very well by insurance mm -hmm. and my employer. Um, and, and another crazy thing is uh, we upped the quality of our medical insurance just before the accident. Hmm. I mean, it is strange. It's yeah. like I knew, right. but I didn't. Right. Do you find yourself <laughs> like looking back and thinking like, I'm like, oh, how, how lucky am I that I, you know, decided to up my health insurance or 
I, I was, could you, can you see how you were maybe lucky in some ways? Do you, do you take that I, point I'm of view? I'm not convinced that time flows in one direction. I think if the event is big enough, it echoes backwards in time. And um, I had an asthma attack just a week before the accident and I had trouble breathing. Um, like I knew I was going to have trouble breathing in a week. Mm -hmm. um, it's just spooky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I've been very fortunate. I mean, uh, the detective who, who came to the site and, and looked at me, um, they're not supposed to take your driver's license until you're dead. He took my driver's license. Um, several people who, who, who were there assumed I was either going to be dead or very bad. Uh, a few months later, I was in a wheelchair on the ferry, and a gentleman came up to me and said, are you the bicyclist who was hit by a car near Phelps Road? And I said, I am. He said, oh, I'm the first responder. I've been a, a, a fireman for 15 years. I'd never seen anybody injured as bad as you were. I did not feel good when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I was in bad shape. They airlifted me into Harborview. Harborview yeah. is an excellent hospital. They bring people from Alaska. They're like three or four states that, you know, if you get injured bad enough, you go to Harborview. Um, so now you don't want to go to Harborview if you've hurt your thumb or something like that, because you'll be at the end of the line. I got to go to the front of the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, um, do you believe that when, I guess the worst of times occur that you see the best of humanity? Sounds like you've had moments where you got, you got to see sort of like the beauty of people coming around to support you and care about you. Um, do you believe in that? Do you believe in that now? And Always have. Yeah. So what do you think about community, you know, made sure that meals were provided. Um, I ended up at Island Health and Rehab. And, and before I ended up there, I was talking to my wife and I said, but their food is so terrible. <laughs> I knew that already. Um, and I got there and my neighbors made sure that I did not have to eat the food that was there. Wow. Um, people brought me meals and stuff. And and um, they ended up putting me in a room by myself. You're supposed to share rooms generally there, but I had so many guests. It was inter. It was too noisy. <laughs> yeah, you, I, awesome. uh, I was a member of the Squeaky Wheels uh, mm, yeah, yeah. Bicycle oh, club, yeah. and we had a board meeting in in my room. Um, it it's I mean, people and and so many people were praying for me. I, I could just feel the love of the community. It, I mean, I think that really helped me heal. That's an awesome thing. And, and my wife, who's a physician, was spending a lot of time with this person who was unconscious. Um, and so her patients would come and they, they, they would got missed appointments. And what did they do? They sent me flowers. Wow. <laughs> After I woke up, they, they had a, a card at, at, at the school for 
students and faculty to sign. And it was kind of funny because they had a bicycle messenger deliver it to the hospital. And as soon as they deliver the card, people would say, well, where's the card for Chris? And they would start making another card and they'd send another bicycle messenger. So that's, I mean. Yeah. I, I have kind of one last question here to kind of wrap things up. Um, yeah. Do you, uh, this past year or so, um, has obviously been been pretty crazy and very difficult for a lot of people. And I'm wondering, do you think you have a unique perspective on this this time that we're in right now? Um, they, just because there there's a lot of people that feel um, that just because of the pandemic, they can't go out and live their lives as they normally have. You've gone through a period of not being able to live your life as you normally have. And I'm, I'm wondering what your, your thoughts are on the, the pandemic and the, the, the whole fallout from that. I, I miss seeing people's faces when we're together. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one decent thing about Zoom is you can actually see people smile. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Um, I miss teaching in person. I've taught on Zoom and I'm slowly learning that to teach on Zoom, you essentially have to figure out how the person can learn by themselves mm -hmm. and then just be there to answer questions because you can't teach on Zoom. Um, it's just not happening. Yeah, right. Um, and that's been frustrating because I, I really enjoy teaching. Um, and I would do set design and construction for the Kitsap Forest Theater every year. Yep. Last year, I, I got to do set design for a former student as well. It was really nice. And this year, I did not have my artistic outlet. Right. So I went in, moved all the crap that had gotten put into my studio, and started doing ceramics again, which is my art outlet. And so um, I've been doing some ceramic bottles, which I had done before. My, my bottles are Raku, so they don't hold water. <laughs> so I call them spirit bottles, but you don't put the vodka in them. Just, <laughs> um, and that's been really nice because I really hadn't, I had done one piece after my accident, which was about my accident. But other than that, I have not done any ceramics since then. And that's been over 15 years. Awesome. Um, I have one final question before you go, Chris. I just want to say it's been awesome to have you on. It's great to have someone be so appreciative for life. Um, oftentimes I think people that get so caught up in their own ways that they don't see the great things that are right in front of them and listening to your story reminded me how awesome people can be and how great humanity can be even in the hardest of times. Um, so thank you for that. Um, but because we are a podcast about falling down and not getting back up, I'm interested to hear about a time in which recently you've either taken a personal blunder, a physical blunder, or some kind of uh, slip and fall. And we always like to leave it off on a note like that. <laughs> hmm. Well, I know my bicycling has really suffered. I, mean, I <laughs> yeah. rarely get out on the bike during this, yeah. this pandemic. and. The excuses that didn't work for me before, you know, it's raining. I would go out and bicycle in the rain. Right. I'm really slacking. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky I haven't turned into a barrel. Um, 
Well, we're only seeing your top half, so we don't have the proof, but um, <laughs> we'll have to take your word for it. Well, the interesting thing is I haven't gained any weight. I think I've redistributed. Oh, I'm okay. Not as sure. athletic as I've been. Gotcha. Maybe the spirit bottles are helping with that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Thank you right. so much for being part of our podcast. Great I had a great time. Yes, thank you so much. And um, to our listeners, you know where to listen to us because you're listening. So <laughs> I hope everyone is enjoying this podcast. Stay tuned for more in the future, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Chris. You're welcome.